0: Last time on the Tariku Podcast. Sheets of river water stream off the thickly muscled back of a gigantic buffalo. Looming over the buildings of the town, its body carved from the night itself, a group of warriors arrive and launch spears and arrows at the beast. Some stick in its hide, but the buffalo simply shakes itself as though shaking off water, and laughs in a deep otherworldly woman's voice as the missiles go flying in every direction. Yes, run for your lives, children of the Condes. Your suffering has barely begun. across the blinding brightness of the savannah lie the tightly clustered houses of the clan of Trauri, blazing red gold in the midday sun Roofed with sheaves of woven thatch it is just after harvest time and the great cubic bales of millet are piled neatly in the village center not a grain out of place ready to be loaded into the monolithic silos that stand nearby Austere as tombs. The hand cut doorways of the Traoré huts are draped with bolts of brightly colored cloth that serve as doors. Here one does not knock, but rather stands at the door and calls, "Koko." One hut stands apart from the rest, sun dappled in the shade of a nearby baobab tree. The opening of this house alone lies bare, with no cloth to cover it, and only one adornment. The sun-bleached skull of an owl hangs in the doorframe on a strip of creaking sinew. The skull swings lazily, disturbed not by any breeze, for there is none, but by a tall, (coughs) lean youth who has just bumped his head on it. With long fingers, he reaches up to steady it. His younger brother, stocky and powerfully built, has already crossed the threshold of the hut and passed beneath the fetish without troubling it. The younger brother turns back to the elder and glares at him for his clumsiness. The tall one shrugs sheepishly. Both boys carry polished bows and capped leather quivers on their backs. Both wear the tanned and rugged mud cloth garments of the Don Solu, the hunters of the bright country. On the dirt floor of his hut, the Nyanyinina sits on an old goatskin near a small fire. He is a gnarled, ancient little man, his eyes entirely white and staring upward. Bound by a rawhide thong around his neck is a small leather pouch. Hmm, okay
1: sons, Musa and Ndantuman. Going
0: off hunting, are we boys? The two boys advance a few steps into the hut and we can see them more clearly now. Their faces are as though two different artists painted portraits of the same young man. The elder, Musa, is long and lean and looks to be always daydreaming. The younger, Dantuman, is sturdy of build and stern of countenance. Musa, didn't you say he was blind? He is blind. Then how did he know who we were? I told you he was a nyaninina didn't I? Indeed I am.
1: Come to see if your stones are sweet before you try your luck in the bush.
0: <clears throat> we haven't far. For we have heard it said that you are a seer among seers and that the future holds no secrets for you. We have brought you a gift. Musa nods to his younger brother, who takes a parcel wrapped in cloth from his hunter's bag, unwraps a generous haunch of goat, and places it in the lap of the diviner. The diviner reads the texture of the meat with delicate fingertips and smiles. He sets it by the pot takes the pouch from around his neck, opens it, and pours into his palm a pile of small, polished stones. He shakes them very deliberately between his clasped hands as he mutters a set of incantations, turning his hands over at intervals determined precisely by some secret formula only he knows. When he has finished, he scatters them on the goatskin before him and studies them intently. Mm, you must go to the lands of the
1: Conde. Perhaps you have heard of the monstrous evil that terrorizes the
0: people there. Hmm. The buffalo. I have heard it that the Lord of the Condes has offered half his kingdom, a fortune in gold, and the choice of any maiden in his lands as the bride of whatever hunter manages to kill the beast. And I have heard it said that no weapon can harm the beast, and that it has already taken the lives of 107 hunters and wounded 77.
1: (laughs) Both right, my boy. both right. You will have the opportunity to slay this beast and claim your reward. But it will not be an easy road, and a sacrifice will be required.
0: Whatever the sacrifice, we will make it. What what kind of sacrifice, exactly? It is not a goat. It
1: is not a cow. It is not a chicken. Oh, no, actually some chicken. You must sacrifice your pride. That pride and impetuousness which fuels the ambitions of all stupid young men. All those many who have fallen before the mountainous hooves of the buffalo. You must silence the pride of your youth. You must watch and listen carefully and attend to all that you see. Miss nothing! You must make yourselves humble before all those who cross your path, even those who would heap abuse upon you. Respect every custom, every politeness, every nicety with which your parents have raised you even toward those who show you no respect at all. I see an old woman, alone in the world, angry and alone, shunned by all her people. Draw close to this one, for she holds the secret that will save your lives when you face those inexorable horns. Though she scorns you and hurls every insult at you to drive you away, you must answer insult with praise, abuse with kindness, scorn with generosity until you have earned her trust. Treat her the way you would treat your own blood your own grandmother only then will the way that has been shut to all others open itself
0: before you we have heard you in fa- we have and we will take your words with us to the lands of the condes we take our leave now and may you enjoy in good health the meat we have given you If fortune should smile upon us and our hunt is bountiful, we shall return and give you your portion to add to that. As the boys step out of the smoky gloom of the hut, back into the blinding sun, the voice of the Nyanyinina follows them out.
1: Beware the buffalo, sons of Trowley. The one you hunt is no simple beast, By the time you begin to follow its track, know that it is already stalking yours.
0: How much dried meat do we have? Perhaps a week's worth. Why? And my stores match that. Good. Enough for the journey. you're not seriously thinking of going are you wait what am i saying of course you are you heard what the old man said i did i heard all about the mountainous hooves and inexorable horns oh here we go and then i swear i heard some very intelligent person mention how the buffalo cannot be harmed by any weapon and how it has already killed 107 and wounded. 177, yes, I remember someone said that, but I do not share your high opinion of his intelligence. The old man said we would succeed where the others have failed. All we have to do is be nice to some old lady. Yes, until we earn her trust and she opens the way for us. Whatever that means. A little vague to risk our lives on, little brother. You're the one who said we should go to the Nyan Yinina in the first place. Now you don't like what he had to tell you? Well, I thought he was going to tell us how not to die. He did. If we kill this thing, we'll be kings. Rich kings. With beautiful wives. Have you seen the Conde women? And if this thing kills us, what riches will we have then? Coward, idiot! <laughs> 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 I'm going. You can come with me or not. No, I'm going. If I don't, who will tell our parents how bravely you died? tears of Sangara, in the dull red glow before dawn, an old hunter leaves his hut in search of a certain plant. He finds it in a grove nearby, a tall liana, yellow star-shaped flowers, each with four flame-red tongues lolling from its mouth and long, weeping tentacles like a jellyfish. The hunter draws his dagger, brings it to his lips, spits lightly on the blade, and whispers an incantation he learned from an uncle of his when he was young. He circles the shrub three times before carefully harvesting the bulbs and the eye-shaped leaves and returning home. The roosters have begun to crawl in his courtyard as he crushes the bulbs in a small mortar with the butt of his dagger, pausing every few strokes to whisper more incantations and saliva into the mixture until a paste is produced. He leaves this to warm in the sun while he washes his body with a protective medicine made from pulping the leaves in water. He enters the small shrine where his hunter's gear is kept, watched over by the monstrous wooden moths of his fetishes. From the peg beside his bow, he takes down his quiver, a slender cylinder of wood and horn Sheathed in black leather embellished with bands of geometric patterns and long leather tassels in earth tones that stream down like hair mimicking the tall grasses in which he will lie long hours in wait. As his compound slowly wakes around him, he spies his second wife Kanyefi drawing water from the well. The silken braids of muscle rippling in her slender arms as they draw up the rope. Ah! Muso, Namu! I did not raise my children that their mother should draw her own water. Where is Musokura? Eh, hey, that girl loves sleep too much. Hee <laughs> Have no doubt she is your daughter then. I will call at your hut before I set off for the wilds. If she does not wake then, she will know her father. Uh Uh-huh. Tell the children to stay away from the yard. I prepare my arrows. They will hear that. He settles himself in the courtyard by the large, flat stone that serves as his workbench. Upon this, He places the little mortar full of paste, the ebon quiver, and a stack of the broad leaves of the toro tree, picked the day before by his children. He pops the conical leather cap from atop the quiver and draws forth three slender shafts, unfletched with double barbed heads of burnished steel. These he bought dearly from the sorcerer smiths of Susu to the north who forged them and imbued them with their lethal enchantments. He dabs these three at a time into the paste like an artist dipping brushes into paint. Once this is done, he wraps each individually in a toro leaf he does this until the quiver is empty, then reloads it with the freshly poisoned barrows. In his shrine, he dons his donso dileke, his hunter's tunic of tough mud cloth, the many pockets and loops sewn into it are woven throughout with a panoply of medicines, fetishes, talismans, and amulets, stitched into oiled leather covers, each a different hue, each a ward against a different source of harm, this one against snakes, this one the hippopotamus, this one against the maledictions of jealous men, One can recognize the shapes of bones, horns, kauris, but there are other shapes entirely mysterious and only the hunter knows from whence these came. All are tightly interlocked with one another, tucked securely into loops or pockets or otherwise pressed close against the body of the hunter this to prevent them from rattling and making noise while stalking prey and also that their magic might soak deeply into his body from a loop at the left lapel he hangs the simbon the hunter's whistle over his shoulder he slings his bow and quiver between these he secrets his sasa his hunter's bag He secures about himself the rest of his gear and provisions. He calls at the huts of each of his wives to bestow terse benedictions upon them and his children. At the hut of the eldest, he leaves directions as to the general area where his remains might be recovered, and sets out in search of game. The big male patrols the edges of the herd, his spiraled horns like the strange weaponry of some alien land. The hunter lies prone in the dry elephant grass, his back baking in the heat, the water wattle buzzing at his eyes and ears. Through the brittle brown stalks, he can just barely make out the white blazes on the slender ankles of the Minamba, the giant eland. This is how he marks its facing. He has managed to position himself between the Minamba and the rest of the herd, so that if his first shot should miss the heart, the buck should at least run away from the herd avoiding a stampede until the poison takes him for the better part of an hour now the hunter has timed the minamba's movements when farthest from the herd he seems to turn a slow circle before heading back toward it the hunter has watched him do it twice so far If he turns a third time, he will know his moment has come. Three arrows are already knocked to the string. The Minamba shuffles his hooves in place. He begins to turn. No, not yet. Not until he shows me his whole flank. (laughs) Hey, <laughs> minamba. So you mean to make this old man chase you, huh? Don't say I Hunting is suffering. Ah well. Let's get after him. Hmm. The trail is here, but no blood. went over that ridge looks like dust is still settling Ah. found you (laughs) munching on grass like nothing happened (laughs) Ah. no more running for you he has a certain charm on his hunter's tunic whose name means trip He touches it, and calls its name aloud to activate it. Fereke! Better be sure this time. He waits until he stands directly over the buck, and sees something in its onyx eye that makes him uneasy. He looses his arrow, finds it buried in empty red earth, and for a moment he cannot locate the buck. Then he hears it snort behind him. In his long years hunting, he has seen an animal smaller than this one carry a hunter screaming across the plain, wriggling on its horns like a worm on a hook. When he wheels to face it, he finds it simply standing there, calm and still, no lowering of the head to threaten a charge. The four barbs still protrude stiffly from its hide, but the Minamba seems to mind them not at all, nor to feel their poison. It is as though they had always been there, amid the rich tan fur striped with its fine threads of white. The two stand face to face that way regarding one another for a long time. The depths of the black eyes chill the hunter to the bone. He knows this feeling of looking into the eyes of an animal and seeing someone there staring back. Who are you?